pick all these up once you all leave. It's my... <laughs> well, welcome to Snow Day. <laughs> now, in true student ministries fashion, let me transition from a paper snowball fight to a message from the Word of God. <laughs> if you don't know who I am, like Tim said, my name is Doug Brown. I'm the high school pastor here. Uh, and it's my honor and privilege, and I'm excited to be able to speak with you guys today. Today, I'm closing out our series on the followers. We will be looking at who the followers are, and, and today we get the opportunity to look at the Magi and Herod. And in looking at the Magi and Herod, we get to see something that's unique to all of the followers that we've looked at for the past 12 weeks of this series. And it, it is that they are responding to Jesus. They're responding to the truth, the reality, and the, the core of who Jesus is, and they respond to him in very unique ways. And that's where we learn things, right? Out of their response, we learn how we can respond to Jesus, and we're going to do that today. But before we get started, before we even go into that, I want to look at something that is unique to all of these followers, and that is that they respond. And what I mean by that is that something comes into their life, namely Jesus, and when the truth and the reality of that comes into their life, they then have to respond. And understanding that response is at the core of this message. And understanding how we respond is at the core of understanding how we're going to learn to respond better to Jesus. We'll look soon at Magi and Herod. So if you have your Bible, open it up to Matthew 2. That's where that story is. And we'll get there in a second, but let's just begin with understanding and thinking about how we respond to things. What I mean by that is something comes into your life, right? Whatever it may be, a big dog, a paper snowball, whatever it is, something comes into your life, and then based on a couple things, actually a lot of things, but a couple mainly main ones, you then respond. What you need to respond to is the truth of that thing that has come into your life, your prior experience with it, and your prior relationship to that thing, right? Does that make sense? Something comes in your life, based on the truth of what that thing is, your experience with it, then you respond to that thing. Let me paint you a picture and help you fully understand this, because it's at the core of what we're talking about today. What about this? Say this person comes into your life, right? The truth, the reality of Matt Davis during flight school VBS comes into your existence, and now you need to respond to this, right? And maybe for some of you, this is an exciting thing. Matt Davis dressed up in his flight school VBS costume. His name was Hawkeye, and he comes into your life, right? And the reality of that is it's good. It's summertime. There's water day, VBS, story time, skits, videos, the Bible teaching, missions. It's so exciting and so fun for you because the truth of who Matt Davis dressed up as Hawkeye is, is that it's VBS and it's fun. Now for me, when this comes into my life, I don't have the same feelings because if you know me, I'm actually terrified of, not Matt Davis, but I'm terrified of heights. I don't like heights whatsoever, and I was a part of flight school VBS. I don't like going up on ladders. I don't like roofs. I don't like looking over the edges of things. And for me, Matt Davis, dressed up in his flight school costume, represents this. 
It represents me having to go skydiving. Because during flight school VBS, Matt came up to me and said, we got a lot of great ideas. Most of them are you going really high up in the air and then falling rapidly, very down close to the ground. And for me, I'm supposed to be acting in this picture like I'm terrified, which was an easy thing to do because that is actual terror. The guy behind me, and then if you don't know, that's the plane that's behind me there as I'm falling 13,000 feet to the ground. So when I see Matt Davis dressed up in his flight school costume, I ha- that's like a nightmare for me because I'm about to go really high up in the air. Because based on my prior experience, that's how I'm responding to it. Is this making sense? Okay, one more because it's just fun. Rick Bergstrom's boat. I think Rick might actually even be here. Are you here, Rick? You know Rick. He's our, he used to be the chairman of the other board. When you see this, you're like, fun. The river wakeboarding, not snowboarding, I was going to say snowboarding, wakeboarding, tubing, how fun. Maybe you're a boat enthusiast and you're like, that boat just sounds loud from the look of it, right? It's got flames on the side and it's so fun. And based on your prior experience with Rick, and you know he's a great guy, and based on what you know about boats, you're like, this is going to be a fun time if I see that boat. Now for me, or if you're a young adult, or a college student, or a high school student, and Rick's already laughing, smiling at me, What this boat represents is this. This is what's happening behind Rick Bergstrom's boat. Those are two human beings that are supposed to be, if you don't know what tubing is, on that tube. And they are now flying in the air. Because, well, Rick is just a crazy person. And he drives his boat really fun. And you fly off the tube and you have fun. It's crazy, right? So when I see that, the the skin on my knuckles starts to just be fearful for its existence because it's about to go away. And I'm about to fly in the air. And you're about to be very acquainted with a large body of water as you hit it going 30 miles an hour. But that's what that means to me because based on my prior experience and my relationship and the truth of what tubing behind his boat is like, that's what I'm experiencing. You get this, right? Okay. That's at the core of what's going on. Based on the truth of the thing, our prior experience with it, we respond. And these are goofy, fun, silly examples, but it transitions really quickly because this happens every day. Every day we're responding to things like this. It's not hard to think about someone getting sick or something, very sick, and now you have to respond to this sickness based on what you know about it, based on the truth of the situation, based on your prior experience with this type of thing. And you're doing this over and over and over again. And inevitably, maybe it's already happened in your life, maybe it's going to happen today, maybe it'll happen in the future, but inevitably, you will then be presented with the reality that Jesus is coming into your life. Not Him physically now coming for the first time, but the reality of Him, the truth of Him, the gospel story, the absolute truth that He came and that He came to redeem us, that truth is going to come into your life every day because it affects us every day. And then you will then have to respond. And hopefully you've seen, how will you respond? Well, you'll respond based on the truth of who Jesus is, based on your prior experience with Him, and based on your relationship with Him. And then in this moment, this is where our story collides and we're going to be able to learn something. Because we're going to look at Herod and we're going to look at the Magi. How did they respond? That's what we're going to look at. In your Bible, in Matthew 2, that's the story where we're at. And in the way that they're going to respond is going to be, you, you probably know this story somewhat, is going to be a stark difference. And in that stark difference, we will learn things about how to respond based on 
how they, what they know to be true about Jesus and based on their prior relationship and what it means to them. So if you're with me, read with me in Matthew 2, verse 1. And if you have a bulletin, you should have then an outline, and you can follow along. We're right here. When did, the news of, when, the, when did the news of Christ first come to you? That's where we're at. Now looking at the Magi and Herod in verse 1 of chapter 2. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod, the king, the Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem. So in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem. So to understand this story fully, you have to understand the people in the story. Because if you don't understand the people, you won't understand what they think about Jesus, and you won't then understand their prior experience with Jesus. So in understanding the people, then you understand how they're going to respond. So who are the Magi, and who is Herod? Maybe if you've gotten a Christmas card before in your life, and you've seen the Magi, you maybe think of three kings on the backs of camels, and in Christmas card pictures... The desert is always very hilly. It's like a bunch of little boulders, and they're climbing on it, and there's maybe a palm tree, and that's what you think. These three wise men on the backs of camels are traveling to give, you know, Jesus the, those gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, right? And that's the picture you have. To better understand it, to understand how they respond, and to get the power of how they respond, I think it would be good for us to have a very realistic view of what the, who the Magi were and what they were doing and how they were traveling and what that meant to them. So let me paint a picture for you of who the Magi are. The Magi, which in translating it into Greek, it means wise men. The Magi are wise men. But it's not just a few wise men from the East. These wise men probably belong to schools of wise men that lived in certain houses and castles. And these wise men, they were experts in astrology. They studied the sky. They were experts in prophecy. They were experts in studying manuscripts. And they would be hired out by kings to advise them. They were good at interpreting dreams. They understood prophecies. I mean, think about Daniel when he's exiled to Babylon, and he's in Babylon. He's an advisor to the king, helping him interpret his dreams and having visions and writing prophecies. They even think, and I'm not saying that the, the magi that came to visit Jesus were, but they even think some of them over in Babylon, some of the magi were actually Jewish people. So you have this group, these magi, who are experts in all of these things. They then would know, they would know Jewish prophecy. They would know Jewish writings. They would know the prophecies of Daniel. And they would be waiting. And they would know that a star will show up that will bring about the king, the one who will rule all of Israel. They live to the east in Persia and Babylon, area not controlled by Rome. And when they see the star and they decide to travel, they don't travel on camels most likely. We don't know if there was three of them. There could have been three of them. We don't know if there were 12 of them or eight of them. But these wise men, probably funded by a king, given a military escort to travel through the desert, because it's dangerous to travel through the desert, with a military escort dressed in fine clothing on black stallion horses, how people from Persia used to ride on, ride and travel through the desert, come marching through with servants and water and tents because it took days and days and days to get there. They're traveling with a military escort through the desert, marching up to get to Jerusalem, which is a foreign country, a country controlled by Rome. Wow, that's way different. 
But that's who they are. And in understanding who they are, you kind of see how their response is much, it's bigger maybe than you traditionally thought. So they're marching up through the desert. Then now you have Herod, who's sitting and residing in Jerusalem. Who is Herod? Herod is hugely important to this story because Herod is, he's the king of the Jews. Herod got his start ruling in the Galilee, which is a part of Israel. He got dethroned and he went to Rome and he convinced Caesar to let him come back and fight a war against Jerusalem and to win Jerusalem and be the king of Israel. So he comes back and he does. He fights and fights for years and finally becomes the ruler over Israel. And in doing that, he fights day in and day out for his right to be on the throne. He's in a way paranoid that it's going to be taken. So in doing that, he builds amazing things. He builds the fortress city. On top of a mountain, he builds a Masada, which is this mountain fortress. He builds Caesarea Maritime, which you would look, you would feel like you're in Rome if you're there. He paid homage to Caesar in doing that. He built the Herodium, where his castle was. And then finally, and most importantly, I think, he builds the new temple in Jerusalem so that the Jews would love him. Because he wasn't born a Jew. He converted to Judaism. And people didn't trust him. People didn't like him. He was a tough, violent man. He was an effective ruler. He was powerful, but he was paranoid. He was paranoid that at any moment, Rome would come and take his throne. He sat on the edge of the Roman Empire for a time. So he fought wars out into Persia, into Babylon. He was afraid they were coming to get him. So any sign of someone coming to take over his throne was bad. He literally destroyed people who even hinted that they would, that they would take over. He was ruthless, he was angry, he was powerful, and he was the king of the Jews. Do you see the tension that's about to, <laughs> that's about to build? Because he, Follow with me, because this is where our story picks up. You have the Magi marching in from the east. You have Herod sitting in Jerusalem, and these two are about to collide in a huge way. Read with me. Matthew 2. We'll just read verse 1 again because it's so exciting. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he? And at this moment, these men have the audience of Herod, and they have the audience of the people in Jerusalem. Three people on camels couldn't just walk up and see Herod. This is a group of people with a military escort from not Rome marching into Jerusalem. And people are paranoid. They don't know what's going on. Is war about to break out? Are they looking for a prisoner? Are they looking for Herod? Are they going to advise Herod? So when they say, where is he? They don't know what's going to happen next. No one knows what's going to happen next. Where is he, the prisoner we're looking for? Where is he, the... Where's he? Where's Herod? We have advising to give him. They don't say that. They say this. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. And all of Jerusalem was troubled with him. Why was he troubled? Well, I mean, it's fairly obvious, right? But there's even a a further distinction I want to make. Because when the Magi get there, they say, Where is he? 
who is born king of the Jews. What they just did is a group of wise men who advised kings marched from Persia and Babylon into Jerusalem, not their country, to look the king in the face and say, where's the one who's already been born and is now king of the Jews? They just looked the king in the face and said, you're not the king, where's the one who's born king of the Jews? I mean, you can imagine Herod looking them back in the face and saying, what are you talking about? I'm the king of the Jews. What do you mean born king of the Jews? I am the king of the Jews. Jerusalem was troubled because they thought war was about to break out. They know Herod's off his rocker, so they're terrified. What is he going to do? This is what they say. This is what Herod says. Gathering together, in verse 4, all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. Herod's not, he's not dumb. He knows what's happening. He doesn't, what do you mean this person born king of the Jews? Who is this person born? He knows it's the Messiah. He knows that the Messiah is to be born and will rule Israel. He will be the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And he knows that. So he doesn't inquire who the Messiah is. He inquires where the Messiah is to be born. And they say to him in verse 5, In Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet, And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the elders of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So what does Herod do? Herod secretly calls the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go, search carefully for the child, and when you have found him, report to me so that I may come and worship him. No, he's not. That's not what he wants to do. Herod, this is bad news for Herod. Because for Herod, this is terrifying. Someone is going, in, in, in and amongst his midst, someone has already been born king of the Jews. Dignitaries and wise men from the east are here to worship him. He's paranoid. This plays on his paranoia and his fear. But, the, but for us, the most important part is this. How do they both respond? Because the truth of Jesus now has just come into both of their lives. How do they respond? The Magi respond. The Magi respond in worship and offering. Read with me. In verse 9, After hearing the king, the Magi, they went their way, and the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. After coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. And they fell on the ground, and they worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures... They presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The Magi, these men from the East, how do they respond? Well, think about the story. They respond by dropping what they're doing, traveling through the desert, sacrificing their time, sacrificing their safety, sacrificing everything to get to a point where they can stand in front of a king of a foreign nation and say, you're no longer the king. We are here to worship and give offering to the true king who's been born. And they find a child with his mother. They don't say, there's been a mistake, this isn't right. They fall down on the ground and worship him. Because their response is in light of the truth of who Jesus is. The truth is that Jesus is the Messiah, here to rescue Israel and the world. And based on that truth, and their prior understanding of the prophecies about him, they worship him, and they give him offering. Gold, frankincense, myrrh, that's what you give kings. That's what you give nobility. 
They're at the same time worshiping, affirming He is deity, and affirming His rule. That's awesome. Then Herod responds. In verse 12 it says this, Then having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, which seems to me obvious, the Magi left for their own country by another way. Now when they had gone, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph, Jesus' father, in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. So Joseph got up and took his child and his mother while it was still night and left for Egypt. Sorry. How does Herod respond? Well, terribly. He responds terribly. Out of fear, he has anger. Because in the beginning, when he first hears of Jesus, what is the first reaction? It's not, wow, how great. This is awesome. It's fear. Because what it means is that he is now no longer the king. This child isn't going to grow up to be the king someday. This child is the king. And he is no longer king of the Jews. Jesus is born king of the Jews. And now he sits there with his throne in danger. His kingdom in danger. His life's work in danger. Because for Jesus to be born means that he must now worship Jesus. Jesus must be on the throne. He's afraid that that he's going to lose everything. So what happens? What comes out of it? Anger. Anger. He tries to destroy Jesus. You can read on in the story. He actually tries to destroy Jesus. That's why they run away. And they flee to Egypt. Anger comes out of his fear. And it's easy to see the parallels between in our lives. All of us need to sacrifice. All of us need to give. All of us need to put ourselves out there. But our natural reaction is to have fear. Because in a way, we are the kings and queens of our own lives. And for us to put Jesus on the throne means that we can't be on the throne. And we could respond in fear and anger. But I encourage us to respond in worship and offering. So the question naturally, naturally gets beckoned. How are you going to respond? How will you respond today? How will you respond every day after this? And there's one very important thing that we draw from this story, that we draw from the reality of, that we need the, the, of the fact that we have to respond to Jesus, and I have to illustrate it for you. And the only way I know how to is I have to blow this balloon up in my face until it explodes in my face. It's the only way I know how to do it. Trust me, if that doesn't make sense, it will make sense. But I need to blow this balloon up until it blows up in my face. Should I do it? Kids, what do you think? Yeah? Well, I'm doing it anyway, so you better get ready. This guy, I got a thumbs up right here. Okay, so here's what's going to happen. <clears throat> if, you're, if you don't like loud noises, well, you should run away from this spot here now. No, I'm just joking. You should plug your ears, okay? It's going to be loud. I'm going to blow this up, and I can't remove it from my face, or, or else I run the risk of it not blowing up in my face. So I must keep it on my face, which means I'll have to breathe through my nose, which means I could just, at any moment, just... I could fall over and pass out. So front row, you're on CPR duty, all right? Ron Rogowski, I'm looking at you. Um, so... I'm going to blow this balloon up, and it's going to get larger and larger until the exact moment where it explodes. And you will all scream, and it will be terrifying because this room has great acoustics. Are you ready? Now, okay, 
it, it's going to be loud. So if you don't want to hear the noise of this balloon blowing up in my face, you, you should probably plug your ears. And you don't know when it's going to blow up, so you just got to have them plugged all, the whole time. Not a lot of people are plugging their ears. You guys are brave. Are you ready? Okay. <clears throat> I have a good power stance. It's the non-passing out stance. You probably should cut my microphone or else we will all go deaf. You ready? Okay. Here we go. Wait. <clears throat> I gotta get my breath first. Am I supposed to feel tingly all over? There is shrapnel in the eighth row. Ron, you're on standby. You ready? I will never do that again in my entire life. Except second service. We gotta buy some smaller balloons. Why on earth did I do that? I don't know. You tell me. No. Why did I do that? I'm sweating, by the way. It's a great workout. Why did I do that? I, because I had to illustrate a point. And the point is this. If I do something a certain way, at a certain level, it requires a certain response. If something big happens, you must respond accordingly. If I told you your house was on fire, the inappropriate response would be to say, excellent, I'm going to watch an episode of Seinfeld and then I'll probably grab my photo albums. That's the wrong response. Something big has happened. You must respond appropriately. Yeah! Child has learned. They must go to Calvary Christian School. You have to respond appropriately. <laughs> but we take an approach that has rarely been taken in the 2,000 years since Christ's coming. The power, the glory, the gospel, 
God pours himself into humanity as a child to save the world, to be the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the long-awaited Messiah born in Bethlehem. People from the east get hint of the prophecies coming true. They travel through the desert, risk their lives to fall and worship a child. The person who's on the throne risks everything to destroy this child. He becomes frantic and paranoid about it. For years, people have been martyred over this. Wars have been fought. People have responded accordingly to the action that has come to our world. And for the first time, it feels, on a large scale, nations of people don't even care. Our postmodern way of thinking has sidelined the power of the gospel because somehow we don't think it's important. We don't have to say it's right or wrong. We just... Don't answer it. And for maybe some of you, you've come to church and you, you, you agree. Like, okay, I agree that that has happened. And I agree that that's the way that we become saved. Yet our response is weak. It's lacking. It is not in proportion to the action that God has done. Why? Should we say it again? Should I say it louder? If I move my hands more? Will it mean something more? No. You have to pursue and understand and experience fully the action that, the God, that God has done. And in understanding that, and in fully taking in the truth of what God has done, we start to learn how to respond. Paul calls it walking in a manner worthy of the calling. In Ephesians 4, you can read this later, but I'll read a little bit what it says. What's happening in Ephesians is in chapter 1, he says, this is who God is. This is who the power of the gospel of God, this is what he's done for us. And then he moves on to highlight, this is who you were without him. You were nothing. You had nothing. You were sinful. There was nothing we could do. And then moving on, he says this in chapter 4, verse 1. He says, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you, which means like I beg you and I challenge you, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit of the bond of peace. And it goes on to highlight lots of other things. But the main point is this. Do you, in light of what God has done, we must respond in a manner worthy of that calling. So what would a proportionate response look like? It would look like sacrifice, worship, and offering. On, on one level, it would look like the, the amount of response, the, the, the bigness of the response of both Herod and Magi almost in a way seem appropriate. That Yes, if Jesus is to be born and is now on the throne of our lives, then this is a really big deal. And if you want to be on the throne, it's a big deal and it's a problem for you. And you should, it would be appropriate for you to search out and destroy this, but you can't because the truth of Jesus prevails. The truth of who God is and the truth of what he did through his son Christ will always prevail. He will always be on the throne. You cannot dethrone him. Every knee will bow. So what do we do? We respond on the same level, but we sacrifice. We give up our throne. 
We give up our will. We submit to God's will. And we say, not my will be done, but your will. What do you have for my life? What do you have to me to do? And in doing that, we worship. We worship through music. We worship through prayer. We worship through our life. And out of our worship comes our offering. We don't keep things for ourselves, but we give them. We give them to affirm God's deity, His divinity. We give to affirm our trust, our worship of Him, monetarily, with our time, with what we have. Ultimately, it's going to look like you laying down your entire life at the feet of Jesus and allowing God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, to remake you completely through your faith in Jesus. That's what it's going to look like. And that truth needs to come into your life every day because every day new things will arise. You will put yourself back on the throne. You will start to do things your own way. You will wander. You will get lost. And the truth of Jesus, who lives forever, will be true to you today, tomorrow, and forevermore. And every day, you will have to deal with the fact that Jesus is crashing into your reality. And you will have to choose to respond. Respond appropriately. The worst thing to do would be to not decide. To not let this be a big deal. And to go on ignoring. Respond appropriately. And the appropriate response is sacrifice, worship, offering, ultimately leading to the goal of laying your life down for Christ and allowing him to remake you. Does this make sense? Let me pray for you. Lord God, thank you so much for this church, God. Thank you for allowing me to grow up here, for allowing these people to be my family, the people who raised me, the people who taught me about your truth. Lord, thank you for giving me the opportunity to highlight the truth of your word, that we should be responding to you in sacrifice and in worship and in offering. God, I pray that every day the people in this room would have you and your truth crash into their life. God, I pray that they would respond to you. Lord, we love you so much. May we sing songs in your honor. May we give to you, Lord. Remake us, God. We love you so much. Thank you for this day. Thank you for this church. We pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, guys.